I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm speaking with James Broll senior fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute and author of a brand new report by CEI on artificial intelligence, just came out yesterday, entitled Rules for Robots, a Framework for Governance of AI. James, thank you, and I really appreciate your joining me on Newt's World. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to be with you. So why did the Competitive Enterprise Institute issue this study, Rules for Robots, a Framework for Governance of AI? Well, I would say a couple of reasons. I mean, ever since ChatGPT came out, this new chatbot that OpenAI put out late last year, there's just been a lot of discussion in Washington, D.C. about regulation of artificial intelligence. It's a cutting-edge new technology. It's getting a lot of attention, and there's a lot of people who want to regulate it. So I think the question of what does a sound regulatory environment or system look like for AI was important. The other thing is just that a lot of the debates about AI, to me, haven't been grounded in evidence. And there's a lot of very hyperbolic claims coming from journalists or from internet bloggers about how this new technology is going to lead to all sorts of terrible consequences all the way up to the end of the world or the end of humanity. And there are grandiose proposals being made for international regulatory agencies or new federal regulatory bodies or banning the most advanced AI systems, pausing AI for six months or more. And I just wanted to explain to some of these commentators that we actually have a pretty good system of understanding, I would say, of what evidence-based regulation looks like that comes from, it's been developed over the last century. And we know the kind of data and evidence that should be brought to bear to make regulations that achieve good outcomes for the public. And this discussion just does not seem to be grounded in any of that kind of debate for evidence. I mean, when I think about artificial intelligence in the more hysterical terms, 
it strikes me that a lot of that comes out of the movie The Terminator. That's certainly part of it. So, I mean, I think at its simplest, the concern is just that if we create a technology that is smarter than humans, we won't be able to control it. And that will lead to some kind of set of unintended consequences that could spiral out of control. Exactly what the chain of events is that leads to that is usually not spelled out very clearly, but that's the concern. But I should also point out that that's a longer term concern, if it's even a problem at all. While we have artificial intelligence that might be smarter than people in particular instances, I mean, your calculator is smarter than a typical person at doing multiplication of large numbers. But we don't have this kind of artificial general intelligence that's smarter than people across a wide variety of domains. And it's not clear when that would happen or whether it's even possible. And so while I think it's reasonable to think about those risks and for academics to be studying it, there are actually a whole host of nearer term risks that are already upon us that we should be thinking about related to privacy or discrimination or transportation. There's, we could get into any of these issues, but those should be more of the focus. Yet a lot of the online discussion, the chatter coming out of Washington, D.C. is about these existential threats to humanity. So let me start at the most basic level. How would you describe the difference between just mass computation and artificial intelligence? Well, just defining artificial intelligence can be challenging. I mean, a typical definition would just be that it's machine technology that has human-level capabilities at some task. But that obviously would include some basic what we consider basic technologies like a pocket calculator or an Excel spreadsheet at this point. And how artificial intelligence gets defined, legally speaking, is going to be very important because all kinds of technologies could get wrapped up in this. The basic definition that academics talk about is machine technology with human level capabilities at some task. But that's, again, very general. So definitions are going to be important. In terms of just computing power, there are already all sorts of systems. I think of the air traffic control system, for example, or submarine warfare. There are already lots of places where activities occur at levels of speed and levels of dealing with data that no human could possibly match. Right. So in some respects, this is not new. And we deal with artificial intelligence already in our everyday lives. I mean, if you use any kind of social media platform... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there's an artificial intelligence algorithm that's elevating certain posts. So you see that and it's often based on what you've clicked on before. They try to figure out what you like and gear content toward that. There's artificial intelligence used in financial markets. I mean, we saw the flash crash, I think it was in 2010, where there was a kind of a sudden collapse of stock prices. That's an example of probably some of these algorithms kind of going haywire for a moment. It didn't really lead to any long-term problems, fortunately, but that's an example of a risk that could arise from these technologies. But again, I mean, that was more than a decade ago at this point. So we're really already in the midst of an artificial intelligence revolution, I guess you'd say, or it's part of the mainstream market ecosystem, but it's these internet chatbots, this generative AI technology, it's called that can produce text, can produce video content, can produce imagery very rapidly, very realistically. That is the most recent development. And I think that really took people by surprise. 
when that started rolling out last year. And that technology also appears to be advancing very rapidly. I think even in the next few months, we'll see some pretty significant improvements in it. And so that seems to be what got people's attention. Hasn't it, for example, already dramatically lowered the cost of making movies that used to be hand-drawn in terms of the kind of films that are cartoons or that they're now even mainstream films that are entirely done by computer? You could probably consider CGI technology to be a branch of artificial intelligence. And you may have followed some of the strikes that were taking place in Hollywood over the writers went on strike. And they're very concerned about artificial intelligence because ChatGPT, the chatbot, can produce pretty decent scripts within minutes or seconds even. And so they're worried about their jobs being replaced. And at the next stage is video where you're just going to be able to say, hey, make me a two-hour movie script and accompanying video of something about whatever topic. And the artificial intelligence is going to be able to create it. So there's a lot of concern about job loss. I think in the near term, it's going to make these workers more productive. It's going to make office workers more productive. You can write that office memo in a minute rather than an hour. That could potentially be a boon for workers, but there's certainly some concerns about job loss as well. And so Hollywood is one area where that's the case, but there's others as well. Yeah, I was down at the Air University recently that run by the Air Force, and they now allow their students to use ChatGPT for the initial research. And I thought that was a very interesting evolution from what would normally be a pretty conservative institution about having to do your own work but they just said it's ubiquitous now. It's changing the education landscape. And I think that's the smart approach. You're not going to be able to ban students from accessing the internet. And it's going to make students more productive in some sense. We don't want to say students can't do a Google search to assist them with their research project. And if they can write a first draft of their paper in 10 minutes, because it just takes some time to put together a prompt to enter into ChatGPT, then they can benefit from that productivity boost, but also do the follow-up work to ensure, clean up the writing, ensure that everything that the chatbot has said is accurate because sometimes they can, it's called hallucinate, where they make mistakes. So there's additional follow-up work that has to be done, but this is going to be the future. This is going to be the way workers and writers work in the future, and we should embrace that. I do a lot of my own writing and research by just going on Google. It's astonishing Given that I started as a graduate student, my work was in the Bibliothèque Albert in Brussels. You literally had to go to the librarian and hand her a card, and then she would go into the stacks to get the book that they would then let you read in the library, but you couldn't take it out. And you had to check it back in at the end of every day and go back in the next day to get it. And I think back to how difficult and laborious and time-consuming. And now I just sit on my iPad and I can pull up so much information so rapidly. It's already a revolution of extraordinary power compared to the world of 20 or 30 years ago. It's a great democratizer in many ways. The internet in general, Google search, and artificial intelligence, chatbots, and similar technologies are leading the way in that as well. Obviously, I grew up with the Dewey Decimal System and all that as well. I think that maybe that's still used a little bit. But when you can access all these books online or when the artificial intelligence chatbot has read all the books already, 
and you can just get a summary of it. I mean, that's something that ChatGPT is great for. You don't have time to read War and Peace, get a chapter by chapter breakdown, and you can go into as much or as little detail from the AI as you'd like. It'll just increase productivity and amount of books. You can at least have a basic understanding of what's in them. It is amazing. It's a revolution. Let me ask you about the role of Congress and state legislatures. First, what should individuals and their staffs do to educate themselves? And then I want to come back and talk about what they should focus on in terms of concerns. But first of all, if you were a state legislator or a congressman or a staff member listening to this, what would your advice be for how they can get educated into the whole contour of artificial intelligence? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing they could do is they could read my paper. After they read your paper, what should they do? I would say a couple things. So first, I mean, there's a lot of good work coming out from the think tank community. I think Cato Institute is doing good work in this area. R Street, my former colleague, Adam Thier, who I used to work with at the Mercatus Center, is just pumping out research papers left and right. He's done a lot of great work on this topic. If you just want to get a basic foundation of what, I think he has a primer on artificial intelligence online that is absolutely great, a great resource for just getting a lay of the land. The second thing I would say is policymakers shouldn't rush to judgment. I mean, there's so many proposals out there to just create a new regulatory agency. But the reality is that regulators already have considerable authority to regulate artificial intelligence. We have anti-discrimination laws. We have transportation regulators who are regulating automobiles and taking a close look at driverless car technology as that's coming online. We have privacy laws or intellectual property laws. Now, some of these policies are going to have to be updated, but I think the best thing that policymakers can do is deal with problems as they arise on a case-by-case basis rather than try to take a broad brush and address everything with one super regulatory body. The reality is the types of issues that arise with AI are so varied from healthcare diagnostics to education policy, as we talked about transportation, privacy. They're so wide ranging that the different solutions are going to have to be tailored to the specific problems as they arise. And so I would say assess these problems on a case-by-case basis as they arise. And one thing they can do is also just fund more research. I mean, there's surprisingly little academic research on artificial intelligence and the risks related to it. That's starting to change. There's now papers coming out. But a year, two, three years ago, I mean, it was pretty sparse. And a lot of the research is coming from the technology companies rather than from the academics, which is interesting. I mean, it's a little different than what we usually see. So do your homework, do more research, and address these issues on a case-by-case basis. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. There seem to be an emerging number of very specific kind of challenges, for example, such as the ability to imitate somebody so well that you can get a phone call from what you think is a person, but in fact, it's a phone call from artificial intelligence. What are the sort of real-time, today, immediate problems that we should be aware of and that may require some kind of regulatory intervention? One that's received a lot of attention in recent months is just this idea of misinformation or deep fakes where images are produced of people that aren't real, but they look real and can't be distinguished from real imagery, similar for videos or audio. I received a call on my cell phone, of I don't know, maybe six months ago, where I was listening to the message and it was clearly some kind of scam call. sounded like a perfectly normal American voice on the message and about halfway through the filter of whatever algorithm was being used kind of broke down and I could hear the same speaking just in a heavy Chinese accent. And so it was clear somebody had been speaking into kind of a filter that had made their voice sound like it came from an American accent. And so I think we can definitely expect this kind of mis and disinformation to ramp up and more scams along these lines. It's also going to affect our elections and misinformation in political campaigns. So one of the first areas I think you might see legislation on AI is surrounding political messaging. And probably what we'll see are requirements that the use of AI be disclosed in some kind of format. Now, is this necessarily going to solve all these problems? Probably not, but that might be the first step is some kind of mandatory disclosure when AI is being used. But as far as fraud is concerned, ripping people off, running scams, it's already illegal. So there are already laws on the books outlawing a lot of this activity but it's just going to be that much harder for regulators to keep up 
as technology ramps up. So the challenge may not necessarily be what are the new regulations that are going to have to come up as much as how are the regulators going to keep track of all these new scams? How many scam phone calls do you get on a daily basis now? Spam calls. I mean, I get most calls I get on my cell phone are probably spam these days. And it just doesn't seem like the regulators are able to stop it. There was a letter that was very widely signed by people who are in the artificial intelligence business really calling for a pause. What do you think motivated that letter? I would say a couple of things. So certainly there are some people in the technology industry who are generally concerned about there being some kind of catastrophe as artificial intelligence spirals out of control due to this innovation race that we're in. Take their concerns as genuine. The problem is at a minimum, even if the risks they're talking about are real, their proposal, which is basically to pause AI development for six months, isn't really going to do anything to stop that. At best, it probably, I mean, will lead some of America's companies to shut down development for a few months and then just ramp it right back up. And then we'll see basically the same innovation on a six-month delay. At worst, I wouldn't expect China to pause AI development for six months. I wouldn't expect any bad actors who might be working on AI development in their basements who might have malicious intent to pause development for six months. I think that their solution is a pretty good example of the kind of evidence-free sort of proposal that I'm trying to address in my paper on this topic. The other thing I would say is we really need to be weary of the potential for regulatory capture, which is this idea that the industry that is being regulated kind of tailor regulations to their benefit at the expense of competitors. And so we should be skeptical when we see some of these leading tech industry tycoons from OpenAI or from Microsoft and Google coming to Washington, D.C. and saying, please regulate us. I mean, they are the incumbents right now. They may not be the leading innovators a year from now. I mean, this is moving so quickly. And they know that if heavy-handed regulation comes down from Washington, D.C., the regulators are going to sit down at the table with them. They can get the regulations tailored so that they suit the kind of technology they're currently using and maybe that their smaller competitors aren't. And it's a good way to shut out competition. And so that is a very real danger. And I think that also explains why some of leading innovators and tech industry people signed that letter. There's some concern that artificial intelligence could actually shape the election in a variety of ways. Do you know if the Federal Election Commission is actually looking at AI as an issue? So I don't know offhand if whether that specific agency is looking at this, but I know that across the government, many agencies are looking carefully at AI. And so I would be very surprised if they were not looking into this issue. You know, we saw already in some of the recent elections, just concerns about interference from Russia or interference from bots on Twitter, elevating certain messages or on Facebook that may be true or may not be true. So in essence, we're already in this climate where there's concerns about misinformation. You know, you may have thoughts about whether those concerns are overblown or whether they're really worth taking very seriously, but we're probably going to see more of that in the future. And I would expect some action from regulators. A lot of regulatory agencies right now are just coming up with AI policies for their own internal systems for how they're going to rely on AI. But the next step is a lot of agencies are going to be issuing regulations where they have authority currently under current law 
They're going to try to issue regulations that affect AI development or the use of AI. And I'm sure that's true in the case of the Federal Election Commission, and it's true in other agencies as well. I mentioned the Securities and Exchange Commission, and we're going to see more of that. What would you say are the major centers of studying AI? Where would you send people to go to find the leading expertise? There's a lot of research coming out of Oxford, Stanford. These are probably some of the leaders, but also just Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, Anthropic. These are some of the leading tech companies and some of the best computer programmers and experts on artificial intelligence and AI safety issues and risk issues are working in the private sector. And so you can find research from them online as well. I think OpenAI now has a whole AI safety division working for them, and they're devoting a considerable amount of their computing power just toward looking at some of these risk issues. So the private sector is kind of leading the way on this, and academics are a little behind. Are there any countries that seem to be particularly intensely focused on developing AI? I would say that the United States is clearly the innovator in this area. Our big tech companies like Microsoft and Google, Facebook, Meta, they're really kind of at the cutting edge of this technology. The UK and London, there's DeepMind, which is, I think, part of Google. They've been leading the way. Now, China is obviously investing a lot in this technology, and they're using a lot of artificial intelligence domestically. There's a significant amount of surveillance activity going on using AI. Facial recognition technology is being used widely in some parts of China. Increasingly, military technologies relying on artificial intelligence as well, which raises all kinds of other questions. So right now, there's kind of a race, I would say, going on between the United States and China, with the United States currently in the lead, but it doesn't necessarily need to stay that way. And Europe, as is sometimes the case, they're kind of ceding this territory to other countries, and they're focused far more on regulating artificial intelligence. It hasn't passed yet, but it looks like there's a good chance that their AI act is going to pass before the end of the year. It's going to be a very sweeping new AI law, assuming it passes. It has the potential to really kill innovation on the continent. We'll see what the ramifications of that are, but they're focused much more on regulating as opposed to innovating. Yeah, we saw that happen with pharmaceuticals, where they basically drove pharmaceutical research out of Europe and didn't really seem to even understand that's what they were doing at the time that it happened. They had a sweeping privacy law a couple of years ago as well, which seems to have really hampered down innovation. And this is a pattern. Where does India fit in that? Clearly, there are remarkable Indian leaders in American companies. Do you sense in India itself any significant effort in this area? India is definitely somebody to be on the lookout for. A surprising number of tech CEOs and CEOs in general in the United States now are of Indian origin. Some of the leading universities in India, their names escape me at the moment, but are very focused on tech. I would say it's not clear whether domestically they're going to be producing companies that are cutting edge in this area, but they're certainly pumping out talent who may go abroad or may come to American companies or go to some of these leading companies and, and be at the cutting edge and leading. I think that they're definitely going to be at the forefront, but 
It remains to be seen how many companies they produce that are cutting edge. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To really do cutting-edge artificial intelligence work, you have to have a pretty big resource base, and you have to have a pretty large number of people, that this is not like the Wright brothers inventing the airplane. Right. So at the moment, the big tech companies that are really leading the way have tremendous amount of computing power that is required to operate these algorithms like ChatGPT or Claude or some of the other ones. And... That is already leading to discussions about energy use. And we saw this debate with cryptocurrencies, for example, and Bitcoin. There's people who don't like all the energy use that's going into Bitcoin mining activity, and they're trying to restrict these technologies by going after their energy use. And I think we're going to see something similar in the AI space. Now, whether it will continue to be the case that you need to have tons of computing power and these big data centers that are using all kinds of energy to run these algorithms, you know, it may become easier over time. It may be that this connection between computing power and cutting edge technology, that link breaks over time. And then another thing to look out for is that some of these AI technologies are going to be open source, where essentially the technology is made freely available for others to make use of as they will. And so I think that that's going to lead to more people in their basement experimenting with this technology and not necessarily making it dependent on big data centers. Most of us have no idea how massive the investment is worldwide in sustaining the modern internet, the cloud, and all these different capacities that we just take for granted. But that in fact, it's an enormous investment in maintaining it and sustaining it and growing it. I pick up my phone or my iPad or whatever. I just assume it's all going to work. And it does. But behind that is 
billions and billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of hours of first building it and then sustaining it. I mean, doesn't that strike you as kind of amazing? It's absolutely amazing. And we take it for granted. I mean, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, where I work, does a lot of research on electricity and the energy grid and environmental policy. And there's a real risk that our electricity isn't going to be as reliable as it was 10, 20, 30 years ago as a result of a lot of the government policies that are coming out. We hope that there will be a transition to cleaner energy sources and it will all go smoothly and there won't be any problems associated with that. But most likely there's going to be hiccups along the way. And if energy becomes less reliable, then the technology that uses all the energy is going to become less reliable. And that's even aside from all the investments you're talking about in the technology itself, which if you discourage investments by regulating a technology in too overhanded a manner, then the rate of innovation is going to slow down and we're going to have less growth and less improvement in living standards as a result. If we followed the European approach and over-regulated, to what extent do you think that would simply lead research and development out of the U.S. into other places? So that's certainly a concern with artificial intelligence because, you know, anyone can write computer code from pretty much anywhere. All you need is a laptop and some computing power. And a major concern is that if we overregulate here, then China will basically just pick up the slack. And China would more than love for that to happen. There's not just economic concerns here, there's national security concerns. I mean, if this is going to be how warfare takes place in the future, that military drones are running on autonomous systems. And the more rapid response and the more sophisticated the response and the strategic response that you get, it's going to rely on the more sophisticated AI algorithm. And so militarily, I mean, we almost have to be the leaders in this area if we don't want to cede ground to China. They're just waiting for us to mess this up. And fortunately, I think the policymakers really understand this. I think that there's bipartisan recognition that we can't lose this race. This is too important. But yet we still see the proposals that are out there. They're pretty heavy handed at the moment. I'm not sure how realistic they are of passing, at least in the near term. But there is a danger that you get one kind of big news story about something going wrong and the policymakers react with passing some big sweeping legislation. I mean, Dodd-Frank was probably a good example of this with financial markets and something similar could happen with AI. So that's something to be concerned about. I mean, the reform could actually do more damage than the thing it was trying to fix. Yeah, it's the law of unintended consequences. (laughs) Very hard to predict how policies are actually going to impact the real world. This is such a huge topic. It covers so many different things. I'm delighted that you have done this Rules for Robots, a framework for governance of AI. But I have to ask you, James, what are you going to work on next? So the purpose of this paper was to try to present a framework for judging policy proposals. In the paper, I basically outline a four-step process for determining whether a regulatory proposal makes sense in the context of AI. And that includes steps like defining a problem that exists in the marketplace, identifying an outcome that's desired, considering different alternatives to solve that problem and achieve the outcome you want, and then ranking the alternatives based on efficiency or cost concerns or risk concerns. And so this paper was basically to say, 
hey, here's a framework for judging policies. Next, I'd like to actually go out and judge some of the proposals that have been put out. I just recently wrote a short comment to the Securities and Exchange Commission about a regulation they proposed, and I essentially applied this framework. That regulation is related to technologies that broker-dealers and investment advisors are utilizing to make recommendations to investors or, in some cases, used on investment apps like Robinhood that people are using and that are encouraging more trading activity. And I just said, hey, okay, the SEC says that these new technologies are a problem, that they could cause a financial crisis. What evidence did they provide that this problem is real? Did they define what the objective is? How seriously did they consider alternative solutions? And I found that the proposal really, when judged by this framework, just kind of fell flat. They didn't provide anything other than really anecdotal evidence. They weren't clear about what they're trying to achieve. They estimated some costs of their proposed solution, but they didn't consider any other proposals very seriously. And they didn't estimate any benefits from the regulation, which to me suggests there's a lot of costs, but really no benefits to speak of. The regulation's probably not going to accomplish much good. I see myself doing more work like that, looking at individual policies and applying this framework. If you look back over the long history of these things, being a little slow and a little cautious in regulating very often is dramatically more profitable for the society than over-regulating and causing people to quit trying or causing people to have cost structures so high that the barrier to entry for anybody with a new idea becomes impossible. James, I want to thank you for joining me and for sharing the CEI study, Rules for Robots, a Framework for Government of AI. I think we're going to be back on this topic again and again, and I really appreciate you helping us get a general overview of what's coming down the road, how important it is, and the kind of questions we should ask before we rush off and do something. So thank you very, very much. Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you to my guest, James Brohl. You can get a link to his new study for CEI, Rules for Robots, a framework for governance of AI, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hold up. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.